0: Hey, I'm Pastor Robert. Welcome to Riverside Friends Church. I got a new recording space today. I'm in the church sanctuary. Our computer is out being fixed right now at the computer repair shop. And so I am in here recording. So it's going to sound a bit different. My voice is going to sound different. Um, Same sermon though. Same sermon. So we'll be looking at Jeremiah chapter 18. And we're going to be looking at kind of the first, I don't know, six, uh, first 12 verses or so. So if you want to, Kind of flip over there, Jeremiah 18, verses 1 to 6 is where we're going to start, but verses 1 to 12 is what we're going to cover. So I'll let you give a minute, maybe pause that if you want, and go and find it, and you can kind of read that on your own. But, you are going to start. Have you ever spent time with somebody who just notices the work of God? They're just totally acute to what god is doing they're able to maybe look at like a leaf fluttering in the wind or something and they're able to go like wow look at that leaf dance for god and it's not like a hyper spiritualization of everyday things but they just sort of notice god working or notice how god works through everyday life like jesus was a master of this right jesus could take a look at this dude working in this field planting the crops and he'd go check this out there's four types of soil right and, and all of you are one of these types of soil. You're good and you're going to bear fruit or you're rocky and you'll be there for a while or whatever, right? And Jesus, he was this master of doing this. And he was able to do this in a way where people like wanted to listen to him. They wanted to hang out with him. They wanted to see what he was going to say next. And there are just some people who are like still able to do that today. They're able to take a look and see, okay, here's how God's working. And they're able to just like explain it. And it's really cool to be with them. And so what we're going to see today is that Jeremiah is really this type of person. Uh, Jeremiah, what we're going to see is that he has this encounter with God today, and God shows him this message, God gives him this word, and we're going to take a look at it and show like what does that mean for us today. So here's the opening text, Jeremiah 18, verses 1 to 6 is where we're going to start. So this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my
1: hand, Israel. Let's take a look at some of these verses here. Uh... There's this idea across Jeremiah, especially
0: like in these three chapters, 17, 18, and 19, there's this go and. Uh, in seventeen one, it's go and stand in the temple. Here, it's go down to the potter's house. In nineteen one, it's go and buy. So it's this idea of go and, go and, go and, go and. And here it's go and, go down, and I will give you a message. And it's easy to confuse like this command with God's message. It's easy to like, almost think like, oh man, God's told me something, that's what the message is. But that's not what's happening here, right? So what's happening is like God's saying, go down and then I'll give you a message. Go down and then I'll give you a message. We can have like the wrong intent. It'd be so easy for me as a Christian to go, oh, I'm supposed to go to the potter's house because I have a message for him. But that's not what's happening here. We have to be careful when God speaks. And I could easily, like, I myself could easily turn this into God has a message for me to I have a message for the potter or something. That would be, like, really unhelpful, right? And so, like, lots of times our message might be go to church. Go to church. Go to church is not the message. You're not, you don't come to church because for being at the church's sake, we hear the message when we go. It's in the going and coming to church that we hear the message. The message is from God. Like, that's what I hope you hear today. I'm glad that you're here and listening to this today. But are you coming to church to just come to the church? Or are you here to hear from God? Let's, let's continue on. Verses kind of three to four here, right? So Jeremiah, he goes down and he goes down to the potter's house. He's faithful in this. And he sees a potter sitting at his wheel, and the clay collapses in upon itself. Like our uh, Pew Bibles, the NIV Bibles, I don't like the translation that it uses. I'm not a fan. This translation says it marred in his hand. But that's kind of like, that sounds so unique, and it sounds so awful. But this would be a regular occurrence. This would happen all the time. It would happen every day for these potters, that as they're forming this pot, it collapses in on itself. Maybe it gets slightly off-center on the wheel. And so then as they're turning it, it doesn't quite maintain its shape. And it collapses in his hands. It's a regular, everyday event. But the way that this translation works, the NIV in particular, the NRSV doesn't say that. The way that it sounds is there's something almost negative and unique about marred in his hands, but the word is like collapsed. It collapsed in his hands. It's much more, there's something about this, right? So it's when Jeremiah sees this. Jeremiah sees this happening. He sees the potter forming and he sees the the pot collapse, the clay collapse in his hands, and that's when he receives the message of the Lord. There's something about paying attention, about paying attention when God calls us to receive his message. Now we have to kind of go and just look around. Just spend time. Because God uses the ordinary things to teach us about the extraordinary. God just uses these ordinary things around us to show us how he is working in extraordinary ways. And what God does next is he connects himself to this potter. Verse 4 or so. The pot he was shaping. Um, I'm sorry. Verse 4 the pot, yeah, at the end of verse 4, the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him, as seemed best to him. It's easy to go. It's not as seemed best to Jeremiah or as seemed best to the neighbor or as seemed best to even the clay, but as seemed best to the potter. And then God says, this is what I'm doing. This is when the word of the Lord comes to him. It's because Jeremiah takes a look and he sees this potter working. He sees what he's doing and then he's able to go, yes, this is what's happening. I- I imagine, uh, like, like, imagine if you would for just a moment, right? A-, a woman and maybe she's like thrown her life away. Maybe she's addicted to drugs. She's addicted to alcohol. She can't stop popping pills, whatever, and she's kind of thrown her life from one guy to the next, trying to always fulfill this like hole in her heart that can't be filled by men, but is only filled by God. And what does God want to do with her? God wants to take her life and reshape it, use it for his glory. But her current condition, right? What we'd say, like, this um, woman that we're imagining,
1: her current condition doesn't dictate her future. It doesn't dictate who she's going to be. Oftentimes we make this about maybe even the worst imaginable people. Those who are so far gone. And it's
0: easy, like, don't think too hard into this, right? I know I had kind of planted that seed in there, right? But sometimes when you think about those who are so far gone, that's who really needs Jesus. And it's easy to think that way. Oh, this person is incredibly far out there, they need Jesus because they, they are the pot that's been marred. They are broken. They are whatever. But when we remember that this is a normal occurrence,
1: the pot collapsing in the potter's hands is a regular everyday thing. And so this is like an ordinary thing. This should be an ordinary thing. I want to make this about the
0: ordinary. It's one thing to do a thought experiment where we come up with the worst imaginable person. It's another to see like ourselves in this, that there are parts of my own life
1: that have collapsed in the potter's hands. You know, so it's like this ordinary way in which the clay
0: collapses means like God is shaping us and that should be ordinary as well. This is not just a verse for the worst among us, but it's a verse for all of us. We don't get to look down on people as though we're better. We must enter into the same process with them and allow God to shape us. Like verse 6 says, like, can I not do the same thing to you? Can I not do the same thing to you, declares the Lord. Like clay in my hands, so are you in my hand, says the Lord. No matter how far gone you are, God can reshape your life. We want to see that continue, right? So that's like my first point, right, is that God can
1: rebuild you. God can rebuild you. You are not too far gone. But what does that look like? No matter how far gone you are, God can reshape your life. We've seen that continue to happen today
0: and even here in the church time and time again. What does that look like? Let's read on. Jeremiah 18, verses 7 to 10. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evils, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. So God here uses this language of uproot, tear down, destroy, build, and plant. And if you've and he uses this language in the context of the nations. There's a couple of points I want to make here out of this. If you've been here a while, or if you remember my sermon from like six weeks ago, I don't know why you'd forget it. Um, this is a quotation from Jeremiah 1.10. Jeremiah 1.10, when God calls Jeremiah as a prophet, he says, See, today I appoint you over nations— And over kingdoms to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And so God here is repeating himself to say like, if I have a plan for you and I have a plan to uproot you, to tear you down, to destroy you, and you turn away and you turn away from the evil that you've been doing, then I'll turn away as well. But God's also repeating himself in the positive as well, saying, if I have a plan for you, to build you and to plant you, but you turn away from me and turn towards evil, then I'm going to turn as well, and I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to bring those good, those good things. And the Hebrew word for nation here is goy, goy, and it means heathen, it means heathen. It's like a derogatory term for the nation that isn't the mighty, that it's for the nation that isn't God's elect people, it's for people who aren't Israel. And what we're going to see is that God's going to refer the people of Israel as Goy. He's about to do that in these next set of verses, something to keep an eye on. And so we can have this concept of God that almost thinks God's will is going to be done regardless of what I do. It's almost like what we, we can almost think like, okay, God is going to do his work. He's going to do his will. His will is going to be accomplished regardless of what I do and that he's going to get it done. And so it's almost a way of letting ourselves off the hook. I know you don't think that way, but some other Christians do. And there are definitely no areas in your own life where you think that way. Um, and this has been around a long time. There's this dude named William Carey. He's the kind of the father of modern missions. In the late 1700s, he felt called by God to go to India and Bangladesh. And an older minister told him, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases... To convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. And thankfully, Kerry didn't listen to him. And he went anyways. And out of his work and out of the work of some others, the modern mission movement was really started. And it was ignited by Kerry and his journey to the Indian subcontinent. If you remember Steve Adhikari, one of our interns, our intern from a couple of summers ago from Bangladesh, he reads a Bible in his native language called the Carey Translation, based off of the work of William Carey in translating the scriptures. And so it's easy to think, like God's will is be done, and then almost take myself out of the equation, like I don't have to do this, I've prayed the prayer, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, so therefore I've let myself off the hook, God's gonna do that. But I wanna challenge that notion. What you do matters you have a choice. God has just told us, if God's plan is for destruction because we're evil and we turn from our evil, God will relent from the destruction. And also, if God's plan is for good because we've obeyed and we've been obedient, we've been diligent in his work, and he plans to do good in our lives, to build us, to plant us, but then we turn to evil, God's plan changes as well. Walter Brueggemann, this Old Testament professor, probably by many considered to be the greatest Old Testament theologian living today. He says that in a covenant relationship, the strong agree to have their lives largely shaped and determined by the character and action of the weak. And I think you can probably even see this like in parents, right? A good parent brings about effective punishments and good rewards based on good knowledge of their children. The character and actions of your kids affect how you relate to them and what, what punishments you bring when they do wrong, and what rewards you give when they do well. And this builds in them character. And so the character and actions of your kids affects how you relate to them and how you raise them. And God being the best parent of all, to us, his people, allows our character and actions to change his behavior towards us. Our actions matter. Now in, in this text, how will God respond to Judah and to Jerusalem's
1: behavior? So This is my second point, right? That God has a plan for you. You have a voice. Let's read on. Jeremiah 18, 11 through 12. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living
0: in Jerusalem, This is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. The text here says, now say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is. And so Jeremiah has heard all about this nations, about God's plan. But that's not the message. Everything that we've heard so far, Jer- uh, God telling Jeremiah, hey, if I have plans for good and people turn, then, they'll, then they're going to receive evil or they're going to receive destruction. And the Hebrew word is the same. It's rah. We're going to get into that in a minute. Uh and so Jeremiah just received this, whole, this, this word of the Lord that came to him in verse 5. But that's not the message that he is supposed to give to the people. Oftentimes I hear Christians, like even in our own congregation, say, I heard from God. I heard from God. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'm not one to question whether or not God is speaking to somebody. But I hear immature Christians saying like, I heard from God to tell you. And here in this text, what's happening, right? So Jeremiah, he's had this word from God. And I think the first person that we need to see changes in this is ourselves. Right? When we receive a word from God, the first person that changes is us. We don't encounter God and walk away the same. And it's only after that, like here in the text, right, Jeremiah has this word from the Lord, and it's only after hearing the word from the Lord and sitting in it and soaking in it, then he has a message for the people. So if you think you have a word from the Lord, I would encourage you to sit in it and soak in it. Let it apply and impact your own life before you share it with others.
1: Because out of that may come a message for others, but first and foremost, it's probably for you. So this is what the Lord says. Verse 11b,
0: this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. In English, sometimes what we do is we take nouns or like um, personal nouns and we apply verbs to them. So like a golfer, what's a golfer do? A golfer golfs, a baker bakes, a preacher puts people to sleep, Um, a preacher preaches. So a golfer golfs, a baker bakes, a preacher preaches. What's a potter do? A potter doesn't pot. That doesn't work. It doesn't. Our English language kind of shifts here and changes the rules a bit. That's what our English language does. It's not always perfect in that way. And so let's, but you can, you can sort of imagine that you can run with that idea, right? That a golfer golfs, a baker bakes, preacher preaches, a potter pots doesn't quite work. The verb breaks down there. The way we use verbs breaks down there. That's not a real word. But here in our text, what, what's happening is it says, this is what the Lord says, look, I am preparing a disaster for you. And what this, this word prepare here in Hebrew has the same stem, the same root as potter. And so it's almost, it's what it's saying in Hebrew is, this is what the Lord says, look, I am pots. I am potting a disaster for you. I am shaping, like a potter shapes clay, a disaster for you. He's using the same language of this potter making a pot here to describe the disaster that he's crafting. And our English breaks down and doesn't communicate that well. And I don't like it. And so like he's saying, like, I'm preparing a,
1: I am shaping, I'm crafting, I'm potting, a disaster for you. And God
0: is using the same language that Jeremiah has just observed as a message for what God will do to Israel. God says he's going to reshape Israel like a potter reshapes a collapsed pot if we go back to verse 5. So he gives Israel a chance and says, So turn, turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Let's return to this moment. And the people, they say, it's no use. It's no use. It doesn't matter if we turn from our ways. We're going to follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. Let's return for a moment back to that woman we thought about whose life is a mess. Who can't, she can't get her stuff under controls. If she believes,
1: go with me for a second. If she believes that she will be in this condition forever, is she right?
0: As long as she believes that her circumstances, her addictions, her unhealthy codependent relationships, if she believes they'll last forever, then they will. She allows them to put like blinders over her eyes. She makes herself hopeless. Her choices matter, and the choices that she's making are really leading her into that. People who believe they are hopeless, they don't need a word. It's not helpful to say to them, you can do it, you can come out of that, you can pull yourself out of that, or whatever, when everything inside of them says, no, I can't. And people who believe they're hopeless, they don't need a word, they need somebody to model a new way of living and mentor them into belief. 12 step programs are most effective when a person works their steps with a sponsor and they borrowed this idea from the scriptures. This is a very biblical idea that goes all the way back to Jesus. In the church, we don't call it a sponsor, we call it discipleship. Jesus, for his disciples, mentored a new way of living, a new way of life. And he, he mentored, he modeled for them how to live this life and he mentored them into living it like he does. AA in practice probably has better discipleship than the church. And this is my third point. God has a word for you. God has a word for you. You have a voice. That woman that we're thinking of will hear God's message based on your willingness to model a new way of life. How well you dwell, how well you dwell in God's word and receive its impact on your own life, how well you follow Jesus' model and mentoring in your own life will impact your ability to share that on
1: with others. So these are our points today. God can rebuild you. You're not too far gone. God has a plan for
0: you. You have a choice. And God has a word for you. You have a voice.
1: And today I want to share with you one of the one of the failures in ministry that I've had that has impacted me.
0: On Valentine's Day, you're close to it, in 2013, I was in my second year of college at William Penn, And uh, probably a week later after this, I proposed to Sarah, and she said yes. And it's like this great moment uh, in my own life. But on Valentine's Day itself, we didn't get together. Uh, Sarah was actually watching her nephew up here, and I was down in school. And that evening, I went with some friends to hear a speaker at a church. I had heard good things about this guy. I didn't know what he was speaking about. I knew that uh, a larger church in town had brought him in to speak uh, with a focus on kind of college-age kids and young adults. And so me and a buddy with a couple of girls from our ministry, we hopped in his car, and we drove over to hear him speak. There's probably like seven or eight of us from our ministry team that all went together. We all went together, and one of the girls in the car, she had just shared with our ministry team some like pretty sensitive stuff.
1: Over Christmas break, she had been sexually assaulted by a friend. And I would later find out during the Me Too movement that the other girl in the car with us
0: had already been assaulted as well. And through no fault of their own, through no fault of their own, both of these women have been abused by guys who claimed they cared about them. And so we get into this church and this ministry team, there's probably I think there was 5 guys and 3 girls or maybe 4 guys, 4 girls. I just remember who was in the car with us at the time, but there was two cars that went over with us. We took up a whole pew. We took up a whole row in this church. And the speaker starts and he quickly goes into this purity movement stuff. And he starts and he starts talking about the need to keep yourself pure sexually. And my friend sitting beside me, who has just shared with us what's happened to her over Christmas break, and I could see this normally confident, vibrant woman deflate through the whole message. It's like somebody stuck a pin in her, or like a balloon gradually deflating over time. And I could just see, at one point, I remember looking over at her and seeing her face just white, And he used an object lesson. He used an object lesson. And what he did is he passed around a rose throughout the room. So at the beginning, he kind of handed it out. All of us smelled it, passed it around, whatever. And so by the time that he got back to him, by the time that he had received the rose back, you know, the head was bent over. It's like stem was all broken. It's like petals were falling out. It looked really rough. And his point was, You can be like this nice new rose that's sitting up here in this vase that's protected by whatever, or you can be like this
1: broken rose, stem broken, petals falling out, really rough and ragged looking. And I can tell you what my friend felt like. I can tell you who my friend identified with.
0: I can tell you which rose she felt like in that moment. And I can tell you in that moment, I felt so anxious. I felt angry.
1: And the failure that I did is I I kept quiet. Because he asked a question. He asked a question.
0: He said, who wants this rose? Who wants this rose? And I was so angry, and I failed my friend knowingly
1: and my other friend unknowingly and i probably failed so many men and women in that room who wants this rose i didn't have the words then but i have them now
0: i can tell you more than and i wish that i could tell i wish that i could go back and tell my friends then jesus wants the rose jesus wants the rose More than anything else, that's what I wish I could communicate. That your life is not too far gone. Jesus wants the rose. Like that potter shaping the pot in the hand after it's collapsed, Jesus wants the rose. He wants to remake your life, to reshape it, to rebuild it into something good, something that glorifies him. And it doesn't matter what you look like. It's not a question of who wants this rose. Jesus
1: wants the rose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, very thankful for all that you've done to bring about your goodness
0: and reshaping my life when it was a mess. So Lord, would you just continue to help, help me to live in your word, to dwell in it, to let it impact my life that somehow you might give a message to share. Lord, I just want to ask this in your name. Would you just show those around here how much you want them,
1: how much you desire them, how much you want to be with them. I just ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.